Welcome to Game Night with the Saints. We're your hosts, Jess and Brad St. Pierre. We're a husband and wife who have a passion for board games, and this podcast is dedicated to sharing that passion. All right, welcome back. Sorry for the delay due to uh, COVID work travel situation, but uh, we're back for episode 10 game night with the saints thank you for sticking with us if you're a returning listener and if you're a new listener how we typically uh, do things is we share a board game memory of the past couple of weeks and then we have our notable notable news and crowdfunding corner followed by our featured game of the week or featured topic as the case may be uh this week it's intrepid by uproarious games why don't you go ahead and uh jump into your memory jess well, right before Brad's uh, work travel, his parents came to visit us for the holidays, and we got to play Feuding Foodies by Feuding Foodies LLC, which is a Kickstarter we actually talked about on one of our first episodes and backed last year. And it's a game for, was it four to six players, yeah. where you team up with co-chefs to try to get essentially 12 points in recipes without being able to tell each other what your ingredients are. And we just had a blast playing with Brad's parents. And it's really great when you like back a Kickstarter and it lives up to your expectations. And this one really did. I, I just really thought it'd be a fun game to play when we had company. And it really, it really was. And Brad's dad and I are the reigning <laughs> foodie, foodies champs. So I'm sure the next time his parents visit, his mom will be up for a, a rematch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty fun. And, uh, you know, sometimes you take a chance on these first time publishers, people who aren't really in the board game industry and it doesn't work out, but this one did. So, yeah, I think I'll probably write a, a written, a written review for, for it. I really did. I did enjoy it. So I want to share a little bit more about it with our audience, I think. Yeah. And if you're interested in it, I believe the only way to get it right now is direct from the publisher's website. So if you Google feuding foodies, you can probably find it pretty easily. All right. So what was your memory, Brad? I have an idea what it is. But oh, you do? Yeah, I have some idea. All right. Well, so we played Obsession over the weekend, and it was the first time we used all the expansions. So that's uh, Upstairs, Downstairs, the Wessex expansion, promo tiles, useful box, everything. And I really enjoyed the what the supplemental servants from upstairs downstairs add to the game and the added variety from all the extra tiles and stuff i thought they were great um but the reason it's my memory is because it's my first time beating jess at this game out of many plays so a little bittersweet for her little vindic vindication for me i mean um so obsession by kayenta games uh if you are a returning listener, you know, we featured it a few episodes ago and, or excuse me, a few episodes ago, and you know how much I love this game. It's not cliche to say I'm obsessed with obsession, so I don't even mind losing as long as I get the opportunity to play. And it was really close, too. It was 165 to 163 for final scoring, so... All right. So speaking of Kayenta Games, let's, can we, are you okay to segue into our notable news and yep. crowdfunding corner? So uh, currently Obsession is in its third 
printing, correct? It's the third printing. You're right. And they did just uh, put an announcement out the other week that if you have been waiting to get Obsession, you had better put your order in. And I think, again, this is mostly direct with Kayenta Games for, for ordering. Um, but they had said on 121 that the website... Um, that they have three to four weeks of standard order quantities available, limit one per customer. So if Obsession is something you've heard about, you've been thinking about, you've been putting it off, if you want to get in on this third printing, you'd better try and get your order in. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good game. Definitely recommend. Uh, So what do you have for news? Yeah, so uh, I want to talk about Dog Lover by uh, AEG. This is set to release on February 11th in friendly local gaming stores. And it's inspired by their previous game, Cat Lady. Um, so if you're a fan of that, definitely pick this up. It looks like it's going to be a fun and quick card drafting set collection game. And it, um, like I said, it's initially going to be released to FLGSs. Um, with online retailers getting in a little bit later. I think uh, Game Nerds, who we primarily use, is uh, forecasting a March 11th release date for that. So, And we did try. Brad actually went this past weekend to try to get this from our local game store, and he didn't have it in. Yeah, I was a little early, I think. <laughs> um, because I had um, sent to my my best friend a message because she's a dog lover but she isn't really as into board games as we are and i said i think i finally found a game you'll want to play with me so (laughs) i'm i'm looking forward to hopefully adding this one to our collection yeah definitely what do you have next jess well so we have talked a lot in previous podcast about wanting to see or we are starting to see a lot of crossover between tabletop gaming and video games right We're we're seeing video games um, be made into tabletop games and vice versa. We're seeing um, tabletop games become, you know, digital video games. And this week there was uh, just the announcement um, that coming to GameFound uh, this fall will be crowdfunding for an Elder Scrolls board game. And I confess, I haven't played Elder Scrolls. I'm not super familiar with it, but I know it's a very yeah, popular... Yeah, I played them all. <laughs> you played them all, right. I have a feeling that we may be checking that out in fall 2022 for crowdfunding. Um, but I do know it's a very popular... Is it an MMO or is it an RPG? Uh, yeah, it's a solo RPG, but it's an open world kind of concept. Yeah, and the game is in development by Chips Theory Games. Um, And then for those who like the first-person shooter video games, um, Deep Rock uh, Galactic, which is a cooperative uh, FPS, is also coming to tabletop. So that'll be interesting to see because what Bullet was one of the first ones to kind of try and like bring that first-person shooter feel to... Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there was a Adrenaline from Czech Games Edition, which we okay. have played, uh, which really oh, tried to right. capture the first-person shooter genre as well. But uh, there's not too many. I think Project Elite by Simon uh, kind of tried to do something similar as well. But, uh, you know, there aren't many. I, that's pretty much all I can think of for, <laughs> for games that try to mimic FPS games for board gaming. Yeah, and so if you're not familiar... Um, 
with those two games and the stories. Uh, I think this week we'll make sure we put in our sub-tweets or in our posts some links we'll share out the, the news we're sharing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of people really like Chip Fury Games, too, because uh, they're the publisher of Too Many Bones, which has been getting a lot of traction online lately. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with the Elder Scrolls license. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Do you have more news? Uh, yeah, to piggyback on what you uh, just said, RuneScape is also getting two board games, um, which is really interesting to me because that is an MMO, and it's a M- really old MMO. It's been going strong for, I don't know, like 20 years now or something. It's definitely a meme in the MMO space. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that as well. Um, but uh, to carry on to my next bit of news here, uh, Stonemire Games has announced Libertalia Wings of Gale Crest, which is a re-implementation of 2012's Libertalia, which is a game that has been out of print for a long time and has a lot of fans. I personally haven't played the original, but it looks like it's a hand management sec- collection game at its core with some take that elements, and a lot of people really love it, so I'm excited to actually potentially get our hands on this at a non-secondary market price um and it looks like that's going to be released in q2 of 2022 all right do you have anything else uh yeah we uh just a quick update on our last news from the previous podcast regarding kickstarter they still haven't released their white paper detailing why they're moving to blockchain we're keeping a close eye on that situation uh, things that GameFound are starting to pick up with exclusives, though, so hopefully we'll have some games to cover from there pretty soon. Uh, we just backed White Hat by Dragon Dawn Productions, which is a GameFound exclusive, and that's a uh, competitive hacker-themed trick-taking game, which looks really fun. And I think you can still late pledge for it if that sounds interesting to you. I believe the campaign actually ended already, but the uh, pledge manager should open any time now. All right. I have one piece of news remaining, and that is that board games are not new news. <laughs> um, there was just an actual news article that came out the end of December that an archaeological dig in Oman uncovered a 4,000-year-old board game. And based on what they uncovered, they believe it to be an ancestor to the game Backgammon. So I thought that was pretty cool. Nice. All right, so are we ready to jump into our feature game of the this episode? All right, yeah, sure. Today we are talking about Intrepid, and that is designed by Jeff Beck and Jeff Krause and is published by Uproarious Games. So in Intrepid, players take on the role of astronauts from different countries aboard the International Space Station, or ISS for short. Uh, however, things have gone horribly wrong. Some light-threatening disaster has befallen the station, and it's up to you to complete a series of missions using the station's already stretched resources in order to ensure your survival. In essence, it's a cooperative dice placement and resource management game. Uh, Players will place their dice on station tiles in order to generate resources and potentially more or different dice. Um, and players must produce enough of each of the four resources, which is climate, power, nutrition, and oxygen, each round in order to continue to subsist on the station. 
if at any point players do not produce enough of those resources, of any one of those resources, denoted by the red portion of the resource wheel, the astronauts have perished and the players lose. Uh, this is compounded by the disaster the players are facing, which may offer additional restrictions and challenges to resource generation. In addition, players will have to dedicate significant resources to advancing the missions, for further putting strain on the players' economies. Once a mission is started, you have to see it through, and the requirements of each mission go up every turn until they are complete. So choosing when to begin is critical. If the players complete three missions before they die, then they have successfully dealt with the disaster and win. <laughs> All right. So if this is your first time joining us with Game Nights with the Saints, after Brad gives his overview, I always like to set the table to kind of give you a verbal overview of what you would be looking at if you were playing this game on your table at home. So let's set the table together. In the center of the table, there is a board... A <laughs> There's a board game, yes. Yes, There's a board absolutely. Game. <laughs> absolutely a board game in the center of the table on our board game podcast. <laughs> Excuse me. In the center of the table, there is a game board that is meant to be the International Space Station. In fact, that's the background of the game board. <laughs> Stop making me laugh. On the board, it has four dice-sharing modules known as the docking modules. One lets you keep the value of your dice um, or increase it by one and the other lets you keep the face value or decrease it by one and then two modules just let you exchange at face value there is also the habitation module which is where you can place extra dice you you or your fellow players didn't need or couldn't use and the habitation module allows you to put resource points equal to the number of dice to one resource. The game board also has on each side four rows that can each house four station tiles. That means there are eight total rows and the ability to potentially have 32 station tiles. The game board at the bottom features the trackers for research, which is how you unlock higher tier station tiles, and the emergency supply tracker, which is the bailout if you're a little short on a resource during a round. There are also four resource boards for each of the four resources. Oxygen, nutrition, climate, and power. Depending on your player count depends on where your resource boards are placed on the table. If there are four players, each player has one in front of them. Brad and I have only played this game together, so each of us always has two resource boards in front of us. And on the resource board, there is room for your country board and your career badge. There's also the capacity tracker and the resource bonus tracker. Um, beside your resource board, you will have the available station tiles you can put purchase and you will also have your dice and depending on your country depends on your starting dice count and above the game board will be your mission cards and your event deck so let's now dive into talking about intrepid yeah just a real quick point as well technically this is a review of intrepid the mission critical expansion and the south africa expansion we uh pledged the kickstarter 
and integrated all the stuff right up front. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's all in there, and this is kind of a review of all of it. All right. So you want to jump in with what your first thoughts are? Sure, sure. Yeah, so when I think of this game, I think about how important theme is to Jess and I. And I have to say that Intrepid kind of really nails its theme here. Uh, space is an inherently incredibly dangerous environment, right? With even one mistake being potentially fatal. And I feel like you definitely feel that in games of Intrepid. Well, and to take the theme a step more, right? When we talk about the International Space Station, or you'll probably hear me call it the ISS a lot more. That's easier to say. <laughs> um, you know, just stepping outside into the real world, it is just an amazing feat of what humanity can do when we work together, right? And that working together, when you say this is a cooperative game, I don't know that I played a game before this point that really requires on the ball cooperation, like, because you can essentially play your resource um, boards like when you roll your dice, you don't have like you you can just do it. But if you don't talk to your co-players and make sure you're sharing and communicating, the game will end really quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, just last summer, right? Talk about the real world here. A small software error in a module of the ISS caused the station to malfunction, causing a temporary power loss and a thruster to fire um unintentionally that sent the station into a complete spin and threatened to collapse the station if it wasn't corrected quickly uh that's the iss naka incident for those curious n-a-u-k-a and uh thankfully the real life crew of the iss dealt with the situation expertly and nothing seriously serious occurred but it showcases the kind of thing you're dealing with in intrepid all the time right well when you talk about the real crew they're far more capable than obviously i feel we are because <laughs> it is rare for us to i feel to actually successfully win a game of this game. yeah i mean that's a good point too intrepid so so full disclosure here we have only played on the moderate difficulty which is the lowest difficulty and our success rate as iss astronauts is fairly low below 50 percent dear listener um well so the first thing they suggest right is the training there's like a, a yeah a training simulator a tra training simulator which is your first out of the box that they suggest you play and we did we won that one we won our first training simulator and i said to brad I was like oh yeah we're supposed to be ready to go to space i do not feel ready to go to space <laughs> like how many more times can we run this like training simulator yeah yeah for sure um so I have to say, though, when we were playing the first training simulator, I said to Brad, I'm not sure about this game because, like Brad said, it gives you a real sense of anxiety and hopelessness at times as you're playing it. And at first, it took me a while to warm up to that as a style of play. And then I really did. And then I really started to have a lot of fun with everything's on fire all the time. And the meme, this is fine, I think was like an ongoing <laughs> <laughs> joke between us as we as we played. Well, yeah, we, we just talked about that, right? Intrepid doesn't take its foot off the gas ever, right? You are always resource constrained. You are always having to figure out to 
get the bare minimum needed to survive and keep these missions going. And there's never really a point where it's like, well, my character's gotten powerful enough, so I don't care about this. Or uh, I likened it to Spirit Island, right? Where, and that's a game I love. It's probably my favorite game, but there is usually a point in games of Spirit Island where you feel powerful enough that the colonizers can't really do anything to you and you've got the game kind of locked up and that never happens with Intrepid. It is balls to the wall, anxiety inducing, like Jess said, from start to finish. And I kind of love it for that. (laughs) Well, and to talk a little bit more into the mechanics to give our our listeners kind of a view, your resource board, I call it the control panel because that's what I feel you're looking at, right? It has all the numbers and you start in the red in the negative every single round. I mean, you're using round. oxygen, you're using power every turn, right? Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel you should be allowed to skip nutrition. It's all right if we don't eat this round, guys. It's okay. <laughs> um, but you can't. So um, you, you're you always balancing. And then when we talk about the station tiles, so the station tiles are your, your dice, or if you want to call your dice your workers, whatever, your dice placement that give you your resources and and they're a lot of fun there's a lot of levels i think we'll get into but to get more resource um more station tiles for your resources you have to drain which means putting another resource which is usually it's not your own so you're not like oh i'm gonna drain my my oxygen one and get like this um tile that's going to give it nine so it's it's an eight positive that's not how it works it's usually like okay brad well i'm oxygen nutrition and i need nutrition so i need to drain your power too to be able to afford this this tile yeah and that's when we talk about the communication um i think intrepid's a beautiful math puzzle in a lot of ways there's a lot of math happening at all (laughs) times in this game yeah, and I mean, I really like that core dice puzzle. Um, you know, on a typical turn, you start with maybe, and it does vary a little bit by country, right? Um, but let's say you're the U.S., right? So you start with two dice, and it seems like there is no way you're going to be able to do everything that's needed. But every turn, unless you, you know, die, <laughs> you somehow always seem to make it. And you often take those two dice, and through the way the tiles work, giving you more dice, giving you re-rolls, you know, whatever the case may be, you can end up activating seven or eight tiles a lot of the time. And it just feels really good to go, okay, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do that. And you go from having those two dice to activating like your eight tiles and you get enough climate and power to save, you know, the station for another turn, right? And it just spirals out from there. And I think that's really satisfying. It really is. That's one of the things I think I enjoy the most about it is it's a it's a puzzle right from the get-go of first you're doing the math in your head right because you're looking at well if i if i can do this station tile it gives me 6 and 6 right of of whatever two resources right and if i can't do this one then i have to do this one and but to do that one i need more dice i mean you have to you have to look at what you have and you have to sit there you can't just a lot of times immediately start placing because as you're going through essentially the narrative with the mission things could be happening to some of your tiles so it's not always the same or things could be happening with certain numbers of the dice 
that you can't use. Um, like we just did, what was it? The toxic, um, yeah, the toxic leak, the toxic leak. And you had toxic dice. Like you, you using those was a really bad idea. And you might have like, like you could have like four, I'm just making it up. I don't even remember this, but one, four and six were toxic dice. So you don't want to use them. Right. And you might have for your station tiles, a bunch of dice that are four through six. So you have to pray you can get a bunch of fives somehow. And you, and people might be listening like, well, oh God, that sounds terrible. I have this roll. I rolled these dice and they're all this. And now you're saying I can't use them. But it's not just getting more dice on your station tile. There's, um, I just played with South Africa, which I think has been my favorite country so far. And they were really fun with how they did it. And I'm not going to go into that yet, but they had a lot of things that were like, you can change this number in your pool to something else. And it wasn't actually, they didn't call it a pool. Yeah. South Africa weirdly does not have a pool. They have a dice queue. We'll talk about that. Yeah. That was an interesting (laughs) because we played it with the, the toxic leak and we're not sure we played it right, but you know, and all of them have that. Like they'll have you can change change it. And then um, do you want to talk about dice wrapping too? Because how that works affects yeah, the placement. Sure. So in Intrepid, um, unless your country's special rules specify otherwise, and there's at least one country that does say that this doesn't work for them, uh, when you plus or minus dice, they wrap. So what that means, if you haven't experienced that concept before, is if you plus a six, it will wrap back to a one. Or if you minus a one, it'll wrap back to a six. So think of these dice as a circle rather than like a series of lines, a line of numbers, right? It's a circular pattern of numbers. Yeah. So, and that works with the the modules on the game board too, that you have to, you know, if you're going to give somebody, they need a one, let's say, well, you can put a six in there and increase it and make it that, that one that they need. And it's interesting. Ones are interesting to me. One, because they're not ones. They're little space stations, yeah, little, right? The little they're ISS key. symbol. Yeah. And my OCD Brad goes to put his dice away. I'm like, no, they all need to be on the space station one side before <laughs> you put them away. But, um, cause that's how they come in the box. And now that, I think that's how they always have to be. But anyway, so um, to start a mission, you have to have a one. Right. And like Brad said, you know, you have to communicate, well, are you giving up the one? And if some of the missions require two resources and not just one resource, and before you start it, you really have to communicate with the player or players who have those resources, can you handle me starting this mission? Because it starts out with a negative, like it drains at your resources at the end of the round so if you you well not i'm saying that wrong yeah because drain is when you move move the the wheel um it takes away from your consumes resources resources. so let's say you have you end up you're like yeah i'm like net three i'm in i'm or whatever no three's storage yeah three's orange yeah four or five yeah. yeah let's say i'm a five and i'm i'm clear well if you started that mission you're back to three so you're in the orange and you need to use emergency supply to get back out so you really have to communicate and make sure that you're subtracting the mission when you're doing your total count that it's part of that negative so if you're starting at negative six and you're you know on what is it like the last one is like negative 10 or something like that if it's a singular yeah so you're actually at like negative 16 starting on like the final um the fourth part of a mission on your resource so it's a lot of negative math you're working with yeah and 
I really like the mission system. I, w- I do wish that they were a little more thematic because, like, the nutrition one is, like, what, the astronauts are stress eating or something, right? Like, I mean, I would be. <laughs> they better have some big pints of ice cream on the ISS but, for me. But I do like the mission system overall, and I really like, uh, like you were saying, how you have to calculate where you're going to be in the negatives, but you also have to have more than one of them going at a time. Because the event deck, the disaster deck, is not long enough for you to go, okay, I'm going to spend my five turns doing this mission, and then I'm going to spend my five turns doing that mission, and then I'm going to spend my five turns doing the last mission. You lose if the event deck is ever empty, and there aren't enough cards to have 15 turns worth of missions. So you will have to have some of them going at the same time, and that just throws another wrench in the whole math puzzle, right? And it's just so tense and so evocative and it's really great well and speaking of the um the mission deck it reminds me and we've seen this um mechanic or theme with um play decks and a few games sleeping gods the most recent i think of where your deck gets progressively harder as you go it's not like oh i'm working on this thing with the on the international space station it's getting better it's like no the meteor shower gets worse yeah you were at the start of it now you're in the middle of it um so you also when you're thinking about starting your missions have to realize it's going to be harder if you wait longer but early on, you also don't have a lot. You don't have yeah, a lot. Your generation is at its most limited, sure. Yeah, so it's it really is, like Brad said, it's this great, str- I don't, I don't want to say stressful. I don't want to scare anyone off by saying stressful, but <laughs> I'll be honest, I have a lot of like game anxiety when we're playing because, and in a good way, in a positive way, because like Brad said, you're always on because... Yeah, it's nice and tense. <laughs> That's the word I'm going to use, tense. A lot of tension. Um, but yeah, figuring it out. Cause I'll, I'll look at him and I think some of the mistakes we made in a few games was we started the mission too early. And then a couple of times I think we probably started too late. Yep. And so, um, and then let's talk real quick. I want to segue. We have lost to the emergency supply running out a couple of times too. Yep. Um, so, and so the emergency supply supply happens. If you're ever in the red, you just lose. Right. right. You, d- you do not have enough resources. If you're in the red, you do not have enough resources to sustain life on the station. Period. You're done. Uh, but then I think it's zero through four on all of the resource boards are orange, not red. And what that means is you have to dip into emergency supplies for that resource in order to continue to sustain life on the station. And you can do that a very limited number of times and then your emergency supplies are out and because you're in space it's not like you can you know phone up uh you know pull up amazon on your web browser and order more emergency supplies you're just done if they run out right and there's there's not an uber home either you're yeah you're SOL. <laughs> um so and I, it's not a lot there's not a lot there's like what three i think it's three yeah yeah there's three emergency supplies and there's been a few games where like we burned through it and we weren't even like through the medium part of the deck and I look at Brad I'm like we're I'm a very sad astronaut (laughs) (laughs) I'm not good at keeping the ISS up and running yeah I mean it's uh yeah it's funny because it sounds like a safety net but what it really is is like 
a warning klaxon. It's like you dipped into emergency supplies here. You definitely got to do better next round because it's going to get harder. And the same challenge is there. If you dip into these again, you get one more shot and then you're dead, kid. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I want to talk. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, please go ahead. I want to talk about the uh, different astronauts a little bit because I really liked how different they felt and they all kind of bring uh, something different to that core dice puzzle in a way that I think is a great service to this game, right? Like the U.S. is a powerhouse and they're able to increase or decrease dice really easily and also get new dice fairly easily, but they often need pairs of dice to activate better tiles, right? So yes, you can throw a lot of resources Resources being dice in this case. You can throw a lot of dice at the problem, but you're using more than a more efficient country, right? And I thought that was cool. And like Japan doesn't re-roll dice at all, right? Instead, they tilt their dice, which makes you think about the starting orientation of your dice and how you're going to get to the numbers you need, which is always three with Japan, coincidentally. For whatever reason, they love threes. Um, you know, and it makes you think about the game completely differently because you're not going to re-roll dice. You're going to tilt them. And it's like, well, I'm going to tilt this four up and that gets me to a five. Then if I tilt that five left, I get to the three that I need. Right. And it's like (laughs) same game, same puzzle really, but fundamentally different feeling. Well, and I have to, I just want to say, I appreciate the representation too. Like they didn't put generic same astronaut pictures or art yeah, on the game and i appreciate true. that i mean it's the international space station right it's uh, what i would have expected and they definitely delivered on that and they do have for like um we mentioned a few of the countries they do have um different ranks of difficulty for playing the different countries right like oh I think yeah u.s and is it russia are they in essentially yeah they're the ones one star difficulty yeah there's different stars yeah that's what i was trying to remember stars of difficulty so i mean i think that's fun too because if this is a game you love and you know you know like brad and i play it a lot and we are used to playing it well if we want to introduce it to someone that we don't have to like throw them into um the four star end of the pool yeah right i mean you don't give them like malaysia right who are the country where the dice don't wrap like everyone else's right and it's like okay you know give them the u.s where they follow all of the basic rules of the game and are inherently strong on their own Mm -hmm. but they're a little simpler for it right and i think having that breadth of experience is a good thing for this game for sure i want to pick your brain on something because there's a feature of this game i'm not really 100% sold that it adds too much. And I'd like to hear your take. And that's the career badge. Yeah. And we have always played at random. They say to play at random for the first game, but we always kind of randomize it. And there's the one um, that has uh, the capacity sharing that I do think is useful. But a lot of times I do not, I don't even use my career badge. Yeah. I mean, they do feel a little bit tacked on. It's a nice option if you need it, but a lot of the time the cost of using it is too significant to really be considered, it feels like. But having said that, we are at below 50% win rate on this game, so maybe we're doing uh, something wrong. I fully admit that I know we're not <laughs> maximizing, like, probably yeah, the strategy. Not to the play most optimal game. astronauts. Yeah. 
I mean, I speaking of real life news, is NASA just announced, literally as we're preparing for this podcast, then 2031, they're actually downing the space station. And I thought to myself, well, this has nothing to do with what a crap astronaut I am and interested. <laughs> it's our fault. Decommissioning the, the ISS because we can't be good astronauts. But uh, do you want to say anything else about the countries? No, I, I just, yeah, I, and it's just a thought because the career badge, maybe we really aren't playing enough or maybe we need to stop randomizing it and really have a talk before we begin the game that, you know, if you're going to be the U.S. and, you know, I'm going to be Japan or whatever it is that you should have this career badge and I should have this career badge because they'll play nice with our country and they will also like, you know, play nicely with, you know, whoever the other is playing. Yeah, I mean, we can give it a shot for sure. Let's talk about the disasters. Oh, let's not. <laughs> so the base game ships with three, and that's the training simulation, the meteor shower, and the toxic leak disaster, and then the mission critical expansion adds the solar flare. And I really like how different they felt. Because, mm. like, as an example, the meteor shower makes you care about the placement of your tiles when ordinarily you don't care about the placement of your tiles on the station at all, right? Um, and it's funny, it actually randomly bombards the station in a, in a way that's very similar to how meteors work in Galaxy Trucker. And that just made me laugh a little bit because that also has age spaceship breaking apart. <laughs> um, but then conversely, right, the toxic leak disaster makes you really care about the value of the dice in your pool and finding ways to manipulate the dice away from the toxic numbers, right? Um, whereas if you're playing the meteor shower, you know, you got a tile that activates on a two to four, you only care that it's a two to four. You don't care that it's not a three because that's a toxic die, right? Well, and the first time we played the meteor shower, we got wrecked because it took out, like, I didn't know about the placement and it took out two of my highest generating resources yeah. and we just didn't have the emer like the emergency supply to cover it and yeah it, we never recovered from losing those two tiles yeah and then there's yeah i i they're really well done they feel really thematically on i would like to have more <laughs> yeah yeah i i think you know like at least one more because then you you know you have the even five counting the training simulator and everything and i think that'd be a good round number uh but they do have irregularities once you're used to the generic you know toxic leak disaster you can add an irregularity um which changes the setup of the disaster a little bit so you can extend the replayability a little bit that way too but i, I really like how the different countries and different disasters also kind of change how collaborative the game feels to me anyway. Um, working together is always important. And I think if you're having a really tough time with Intrepid, it's probably because you're focusing too much on your own puzzle and not necessarily like working with the other people at the table. Or it's because you're in space and space is awful. Yeah, I mean, it can kill you pretty easily for sure <laughs> but as an example right when we played as the u.s and russia we were kind of largely self-sufficient and didn't really work together that much because we didn't feel the need to right but we just played a game oh, i'm sorry go ahead 
what I was going to say. That was also the the training one, right? Yeah, that, that was the training simulator. And yeah, that's, that's the one true. at the end of it. I looked at him and I'm like, nobody should send us to space. <laughs> <laughs> but as an example, when we played in South Africa and the UK on the toxic leak disaster, right? We were constantly using the docking modules to trade dice so that we could get away from the toxic dice. And I just thought, you know, if this was the meteor shower, would we be doing that? Not sure. Maybe it's these two countries that have to work together more collaboratively because they have very specific dice requirements, right? And I just thought, you know, it makes me want to test all the combinations in this game, which would take a long time because, you know, but, you know, I think that was a really good point. No, I agree. This is not, like, I know some people don't like cooperative games. They don't like the the quarterbacking. You can't quarterback in this game. And if you if you did, you're just going to burn through your emergency supply and or your your fellow players are going to throw you out of the International Space Station <laughs> pretty quickly. Um, you know, when you talk about optimizing and how we talked about not optimizing maybe our, our play because our win rate is so atrocious. One of the things that I struggle sometimes with the strategy and playing the game is spending the capacity. I never know if I should just dump it into getting the best tiles first and the most dice. Cause, so you let me back up. When you get your capacity, you start with a certain amount. Yeah, that's based on the difficulty. Right. You, you start with a certain amount. And then each round, you add on to whatever you've subtracted after you've spent capacity with whatever the lowest resource um, is on your... So, like, let's say, you know, nutrition is a 10, but oxygen is a 5, and the other two are 7s. Well, you would add 5 capacity at the end of that. Um, so, you know, let's say if you started with seven, maybe you have 12, right? You have 12 capacity to spend. Well, you have to spend capacity to buy dice and you have to spend capacity to research to get better station tiles. And you also, the most expensive I feel capacity spend is, um, until you get higher on dice and then it gets pretty high, but is station tiles. Like even your tier one station tiles cost like what, like five or so uh, yeah it varies but it, it sounds varies, about right so it's still a lot um and i'm never sure if we would do better strategically if we and i'd love by the way when we talk about this on our podcast i would love to hear from our listeners that have played intrepid or are passionate about like we are what are your strategies like how do you attack the the board how do you spend your capacity because i've tried different ways i've tried like dumping a lot into station tiles without maybe being as cautious with you know negating other resources that hasn't necessarily worked well I've tried dumping it into research to try and get us better station tiles but then I always felt I was super capacity poor to buy the tier two or the tier three station tiles so capacity is an interesting resource in this game that I'm never sure I'm playing correctly well and tying it to the lowest generated resource poses an interesting question to the players because if that was not the case you would always have kind of like a dump resource right it's like yeah we need power to be out of the orange so we don't use emergency supplies but you know there's no missions that require power so you can literally generate nine power and be fine right And that's not the case because of the way capacity works. If you do that, you're getting five capacity and that's enough to buy a tier one tile. Maybe, right? You're not going to be able to buy more dice. You're not going to be able to 
research to unlock the better tiles you're definitely not gonna be able to buy the better tiles because they're like you know tier three tiles cost like nine capacity right uh again variable but as an average and if you're only getting five a turn you're never gonna make it right so it makes you care about the lowest resource in a way that you could probably just kind of forget about it a little bit otherwise and i think that was a really smart design decision well and i think um, that's to some extent the lowest resource or risk of too low of a resource is we tried this past game, I think, to use the habitation module a little bit. It's like, yeah. do I have, um, do I have enough resources that I, you know, I'm, I never hit the bonuses. I'm sorry. I'm just yeah, a bad ass. have done it like two times. You know? <laughs> I never hit the bonuses and I know I'm not going to hit the bonus. So I'm like, I'd rather put these two dice in the habitation module if Brad doesn't need them for his um, board or if we've already used all the you know transfer modules then i put them in there because then you know we can maybe up that lowest resource when it comes to capacity so we can get a little bit more capacity and this last time i was playing with the one career badge i really like which is that you can share three you can share up to three capacity and give yeah. that much to one other player and so we did do that once or twice because I do think that is a pretty strong career badge if you have the extra capacity to share. Yeah, definitely. Um, I kind of want to talk. We were talking about the theme. I want to come back to it for a second. There's something in this game that is very jarring to me, and it's probably just me. Brad's tried to talk me to me <laughs> about this, but my, I'll use tension of during this gameplay is very high. So when we win... And we get to that third mission. It's like, you won. Mission's over. Yay. It's so jarring to go from like 100 to zero for me. <laughs> like, uh, And when you complete a mission, you do get to like, if you're at like negative six drain, you get to get like plus one. So now you're at negative five, right? Across yep. all the resources get like plus one um, reduction in their drain. But that's just not enough for me when we go from like, we're hanging out here in negative nine, just trying to get the oxygen levels up here or negative 12 or whatever it is. And it's like, and then all of a sudden it's like, everything's fine. It's fine. It's not so, on fire anymore. And so it's are just, you talking about finishing one mission or finishing all the missions? All the missions. When oh, you okay, win the okay. game. When you win the game, it feels jarring to me because you were literally, everything was literally on fire. The meteors were busting through the ISS and now... Everything's hunky-dory. Yeah, I feel like that's how it would be in real life, though, right? I mean, look at the ISS Naka incident, right? Tire Spatium was in a tailspin. They lost power, but, you know, once you restore power and you level out the station, everything's good, right? You're still in the most dangerous environment known to man, but other than that, you know, things are fine. So, like, Toxic Leak Disaster, right? You you vented the station, right? I think that's actually one of the mission is cycled events and now there isn't any more toxic gas and assuming you've also dealt with the leak you know business is normal right yeah. it's not it's not like you can leave the iss right it's not like you go home and do a victory lap like you're still 400 kilometers above the earth right so i guess you just kind of get back to it i know it is i will say though when we do win this game it is the best feeling yeah it does feel good it's jarring that it's suddenly over and sometimes i'm like it's like you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of the end of the was it the second hobbit movie when i was watching it in theaters and smog takes off and i'm like i think more is going to be coming but nothing does it just 
cuts to like the the credits that's what it's like when we like win a game of intrepid it cuts to the credits and i'm like wait a minute it's over there's not more disaster to come (laughs) i mean there's always another disaster that's the thing about space right you you just don't see it in the game because that particular game is over what else you got yeah i want to talk about the resource boards themselves a little bit so I can see what Uproarious Games was trying to do with them. And I think it's a really cool idea to have them, you know, look like a control panel and you spin the wheel to to drain your resources and you spin it the other way to, to plus them, you know. But they don't quite work, which is really unfortunate. Um, and yeah. Go ahead. Well, as I say, that's, that's my one red note on here is the boards are just a little fiddly. Sometimes I, I bump it and I have to remember what my negative number was and stuff like that. Yeah, and the reason that that happens, right, and why that's possible is because the wheel portion of the boards themselves are the bottom of the board, right? So in order to spin the wheel, you have to lift up the whole board and you've already got like five cubes on your board, right? So it's like, you know, picture terraforming mars resources from with the baseboards you haven't upgraded the boards at all right and now they're asking you to lift them right and this is a little better because they actually do have insets for the cubes to to rest in but i'm a very clumsy person so if i drop this board game's over right i don't know where my resources were i don't know where my drain was whatever right and also because the boards don't have a back are resource boards are experiencing a lot of warping and i don't think that's uproarious games fault that's probably just a function of all of the different climates these boards went through when they were shipped internationally from their manufacturer to the u.s right but um but there was a there was a solution to this right and that's to put it back on the boards then the wheel wouldn't be on the bottom and there would be something for the top portion of the board to be, you know, adhesioned to, and it would prevent the warping, right? And I'm not really sure why they didn't do that, probably because they would have had to redesign the box because that would have increased the space each of the boards was taking, and it's already a really tight box. Well, and it's, I mean, hindsight's always twine twine. We talk about that yeah, sometimes. of course. And honestly, with the past... 24 months of what this world and global shipping and manufacturing and everything has looked like they may have realized and just been like we can't I mean we just can't necessarily fix this with this particular printing and and that's okay Uh, it is fiddly but it would I would say it would not keep me from playing or enjoying this game yeah yeah I mean you just gotta be a little bit careful you gotta recognize that this is something that you might have to deal with there's actually a do-it-yourself thread on board game geek where someone has attached backs to their resource boards to solve this problem and it does create lid lift right because the box is not designed to have backs to these boards so you know it's pick your poison you want lid lift or do you want boards that are a little touchy um but i'll link that board game geek post in our show notes for anyone who's interested uh all right so final thoughts on intrepid well we always talk about are we gonna? Is a game going to stay in our collection? Does it has it earned its space on our shelf? Right. Sure. Um, 
And I really have come to love playing this game. So I want to say yes, but I'm also worried, are we going to burn through the content of it and not have the same fun we're having at this level when we've played, you know, the meteor shower 15 times more? You know what I mean? That's my that's my only concern, I think. Yeah, I think it's close. I think it's close. It, you know, we always talk about, like Jess was saying, if, if a game's going to be on our shelf, right, is it a forever game is another way to put it, right? And I think it's close here. Um, I really like the dice puzzle. I really find that very compelling. But I do think it could potentially get samey after a while, especially playing against the same disasters, right? There's only four. And the irregularities mix things up a little bit, but they kind of mix things up in the same way that the prelude cards for Eldritch Horror mix things up, right? They don't fundamentally change the game. And Eldritch Horror is another game that um, thrives on its variety, but it has way more expansions, right? You can never get all the combinations of Eldritch Horror. You just couldn't play that game enough, right? Um... Well, I suppose then it's a, because I think, I mean, and we both love the theme. We're both yeah. sci-fi space nerds. Um, I I think it definitely has its place now. And, and my recommendation to anyone who loves space and loves math puzzles and loves cooperative games that require a lot of communication and working together, this is the game for you. Like go out if you is it still available because we got ours from kickstarter i'm never sure when kickstarters are actually available to purchase anymore yeah so you can either buy it or pre-order it from the uproarious games website directly i don't know if it's in between printings or not but that is the availability of it you can check their website and you know either pre-order or buy direct yeah i mean i 100 percent recommend it for what i described you know just a moment ago for, for those kind of players and those who love games along that theme and style. For us, it has its place for now. I think we're probably going to keep playing it. And what do, you, what do you think? Wait and see. Hopefully, hopefully Uproarious Games is listening to this. And please, please give me more space disasters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be in our collection for a while, for sure, until we feel we've exhausted the content. I mean, we've still got countries we haven't tried yet. Um you know, we want to start working through those irregularities like we were talking about. Um, but you know what? You know, if you're listening to Uproarious Games, give me, you know, maybe one more disaster. Maybe four more astronauts. Like another mission critical expansion, basically, right? Um, and then, you know, give me a, a solution for the resource boards. You know, it, it, make it a big box expansion and ship it with different boards, right? And then I could see it being in our collection, you know, as a forever game. Yeah, absolutely. You've been listening to Game Night with the Saints with us, your hosts, Jess and Brad St. Pierre. If you like what you just heard, please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps. You can also follow us on Instagram at Saint Gamers or Twitter at Saint underscore Gamers to let us know what you think and be notified when the next episode goes live. We also have a Ko-Fi account linked at the bottom of the show notes if you feel like tossing us a couple of bucks to help offset the costs of running the podcast and website. We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. Until then, remember, it's just a game.